If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So one of the very last things that happens in the Gospel of John is this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Um, it happens on the last page of the Gospel in, in verse 18. Uh, Jesus says to him, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Uh, we know with relative certainty that Peter was martyred around 64 AD. And the church fathers all record that he was likely crucified. Now, church tradition has handed down to us that Peter was perhaps crucified upside down. Um, but the earliest records we have of that story start about 100 years after his death. So the truth is we know he was martyred, but we don't have any uh, record of exactly how it happened. And uh, one of my seminary professors, in fact, as he was thinking about these verses at the end of John and reflecting on what he knew about history, there was this historian named Suetonius who said one of the favorite sick ways that Emperor Nero would often kill Christians was by dressing them in the clothing of animals and uh, in the skin of animals and sending them out into the arena so that people could watch while they were torn apart by dogs. Now that's pretty gruesome, right? But as he looks at that description of Peter being dressed and, and taken somewhere that he doesn't want to go, my professor said, isn't that very similar to, to the description of, of how Peter was going to die? Now, I, I know that's a really graphic image. It's gruesome. But as we study this passage today about persecution, I just want to kind of talk about the reality that, that Peter lived in. Uh, to remember the, the context of this statement was vastly different from the, the world that we live in today. The, the things that people think about when they talk about persecution today, right? When people on social media or cable news are crying persecution because Starbucks changed the coffee cups at Christmas, right? Because they're pure red instead of having Santa on them or whatever they had before. Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. 
this warning that he's giving us, this warning about persecution in John 15 is, is really necessary to prepare his disciples for what's coming. It's a warning to him and to everyone else who's going to follow them that there is a real cost to following him. And that cost is still around. And while today in our culture, in our country, we might not be facing the, the prospect of immediate death for following Jesus, this passage is meant to make us aware of the, the state of the world. That there's an ongoing reality of persecution in every society. And Jesus' followers, they need to understand that, and we need to expect it. So today, what we're going to do as we go through this passage is just ask a few questions, some simple ones. The first one is, what causes persecution? What causes persecution? Then we're going to say, are you being persecuted? And then the third question we're going to ask is, how do you respond to persecution? So what are the causes of persecution? Are you being persecuted? And then how do we respond to persecution? Okay, so what causes persecution? Uh, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this subject. It comes up quite a bit. Jesus, in his most famous sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he mentions this at the very beginning. It's one of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we just talked about Peter and, and how he died. Well, Peter himself... He wrote in one of his letters, he said, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit and glory of God rests on you. And then he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, I, I wanted to add those two passages to your thought right now because you notice, I hope, in those passages, there's actually a, an important caveat, right? Jesus says, you're blessed when you suffer because of me. Peter says, when you suffer, it shouldn't be because you're a murderer or a thief or because you're a meddler. In other words, they're, they're both saying, they both point out that just because you're suffering, it doesn't always mean you're suffering for Jesus, right? I bring this up right at the beginning because I think we, we do have, we live in a challenging moment in our society, right? Especially in the United States. We have reached this moment where we are at the end of Christendom. A lot of people will tell you we are entering a post-Christian society. And so that means in our world today, there is increasingly, there's more diversity in our belief system. And the church, Christians, 
we have less power than we used to. We have less power in our nation, and, and we have a lot less respect than we might have had 100, 200 years ago. In fact, just yesterday, somebody, uh, Melissa told somebody that I was a pastor. That's what I did for a living. And their response was, is that all he does? <laughs> like it was a hobby, you know, <laughs> that it's a, you know, a very minimal kind of thing that you would add on. How, how could that be the only thing someone does? But the truth is, we shouldn't expect people to understand what a pastor does. We shouldn't expect people to, to know a whole lot about the church. That's just where we are. People don't know as much about Christianity as they once did. And that also means as our society is changing, there is this kind of ideological push and pull that's happening. There is this shift that is occurring. There's a power struggle that's happening in our nation. And so when you look on the news, there's a lot of culture wars. There are a lot of battles about politics and social norms and ideas that are playing out all the time. But I, I wanted to point that out because having people disagree about a political opinion or even losing an important vote, that's not the same as persecution. It's not the same as being persecuted for your faith. Those things do sting, right? Nobody likes to, to lose, but it's not the same thing that Jesus is talking about when he talks about persecution. It's not suffering for his name. It's really more about the sadness of losing worldly power. And here's another thing that isn't really persecution. Sometimes you can suffer not because you're standing up for Jesus, but because when you stand up for Jesus, you're being really obnoxious. <laughs> the way that you stand up for Jesus is very off-putting. Do you know what I'm talking about? When I was in school, we had this guy who would come and preach in the middle of our campus. And the guy would come down and he would just shout and yell He'd tell everybody they were going to hell. He had a big sign that he raised up on a stick with all the lists of terrible things. And no matter who you were, he made sure to, to yell at you while you walked by. And so the crowd would gather around him, and they would jeer him, and they would, they would heckle him. They didn't like him. But it wasn't because they were persecuting him. It's because he was awful. <laughs> it was because he was a miserable person. They didn't want him to stick around. You know, there... Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm not going to mention any. There, there's, there's a church in town that seems to put some pretty incendiary things on its sign every week. And, you know, I think if somebody were to drive by one day and throw a rock at that sign, don't do that, okay? I'm not condoning it. But I'm saying if somebody threw a rock at that sign and broke it, that's not persecution, right? That is one angry person <laughs> lashing out at another angry person with a sign. When our approach to the world is not Christ-like, then the response is not necessarily persecution. So the point is this. There are, there are a lot of things that can be mistaken for persecution, and then there is real persecution. And what is that? What does Jesus say will cause real persecution in our lives? Well, he says it in our passage, verse 21. He says, 
They will treat you this way because of my name. They will treat you this way because of my name. In other words, simply following Jesus faithfully will bring persecution. Simply following Jesus faithfully is going to, to cause persecution sometimes. Now, now I want to say, as a pastor, I want everybody in this room to become a faithful follower of Jesus. And I realize, as, as I'm saying, that being a faithful follower means you'll be persecuted. I realize that it, this isn't the best sales pitch, right? But it's true. This is what Jesus says. This is the fine print that we have to read together. Now, I want you to know that the reward for following Christ always outweighs the cost. But there is a cost. How does he say it? He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. There's no way around it. He says, some people are going to hate you. And why are they going to hate you? Well, it won't have anything to do with you, really. It will be because of Jesus. And man, that's, that's kind of hard to swallow because what that means is, it means you can live a holy life. You can be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. You can be overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You can do everything with abundant grace and mercy. And people are still going to hate you. It's unavoidable. If they hated Jesus, who was definitely better than all of us, then they're going to hate his followers too. And maybe you're thinking, well, who hates Jesus? I mean, haven't we all decided as a culture that, that we kind of like Jesus? That Jesus was a cool guy and he, he taught nice things and, and everybody likes him? Isn't that what we think? Well, yeah. Right? There is that version of Jesus. There is that kind of pop culture version of Jesus that people have decided to like, who is in incredibly tame, who offends no one. But that Jesus, as we have seen, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus, the one who died on the cross and rose again from the grave and promises that he's coming again to judge the world, he makes some pretty in-your-face claims, doesn't he? He says things like, yeah, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. He says those kinds of things that we like, but he also says... I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so when you get to know Jesus, when you read the Gospels and learn about who Jesus is, you realize there's, there's not an easy way around his claims. Jesus offers salvation to the world, but he also demands lordship. He wants to save you, but he also demands that you bow down before him. And man, the, the sin in us, it hates that. 
Because we want to live however we see fit. We want to be our own Lord. We don't want someone else to lord over us. We want to be our own Lord, even if that means it leads to death. And what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that when people see you calling Christ your Lord, following him with your life, when they see you joyfully following him, surrendering to him, and then being transformed every day so that more and more each day you, you look like him. You sound like him. More and more each day you remind the world of him. Well, that is a slap in the face to the world. It's a constant reminder of the reality that everybody else is trying to deny. They hate you, Jesus says, because they hate him. And he goes on to say, and whoever hates me hates my father as well. And, uh, in other words, the problem is not with you. It's with lordship. Real persecution comes when we remind people of the Savior and the Lord they are trying to deny. That's what causes persecution. Real persecution comes when we remind people of the Savior and Lord they're trying to deny. So then let's ask this question. Are you being persecuted? Verse 19, I'll read it again. He says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Let's think about this for a minute. Does the world hate you, or does it love you as its own? Does the world hate you, or does it love you as its own? What does that even mean? What does it mean for the world to love you as its own? When you think about Jesus, you think about the stories of him interacting with the world. There, it's amazing, because think about how people respond to Jesus. Is it not the case that there are large groups of the undesirables who flock to Jesus? There are large groups of people who love Jesus. Over and over, there are these accounts of sinners and, and tax collectors who, who flock to him. And they listen intently to the things that he has to say. So the world loving you as its own, it cannot mean, well, you're just out there hanging out with undesirable people, right? If you're, it doesn't mean that if you really follow Jesus, well, you have to kind of wall yourself off from the world. You got to be, you know, kind of weird. <laughs> you got to be the kind of person that nobody wants to hang out with. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that you can only listen to Christian music you can only watch those cheesy Christian movies that, you know, I'm not saying anything about those movies. You might like them. Um, but listen, when Jesus went to parties, people liked having him there. That's what I'm trying to say. When Jesus went to parties, people enjoyed being around him. So it can't mean you have to wall yourself off from the world. But it's also true that Jesus never compromised his message. Amen? I, 
I'm always amazed by that. When I read these stories in the Gospels, when I see Jesus out and interacting with all these different groups of people, I'm amazed because he always, he's always himself. He never hedges, right? He never changes his personality to reflect the other person in the room. He never shades the truth. He never tries to please somebody for his own benefit. Jesus was the most authentic person who has ever walked the face of the earth. He was always the same. Now, what about you? Are you like that? I have to confess, I really struggle with, with this, actually. I, I am a recovering and, and often stumbling still people pleaser. I just, I, I find that I want people to like me too much. And that means when I'm in certain crowds, I can be slow to say the hard things. I can sometimes tell people the thing they want to hear. And not because it's good for them, but because I think somehow that's going to be good for me in the long run. And I, I doubt I'm alone here. I bet you know what I'm talking about. I bet you, you've done that before, right? And I, I bring that up to say one of the reasons why we don't experience more persecution, one of the reasons why we don't experience more pushback is because we are cowardly with our convictions. I already talked about how it's bad to be overbearing and aggressive, to be that guy who's always yelling at people and telling them why they're going to hell. But the flip side of that is to be so passive and so afraid of offending people that no one even knows you have faith at all. And, and to take that one step farther, uh, another reason why I think we don't experience so much persecution is a step past cowardice. It's just outright conformity. Some of you, you aren't just quiet about your convictions. You've lost your convictions. You don't stand out because you actually aren't any different than everyone else. And I, I recognize how that can sound in the church, right? In a more conservative community like Mooresville, when I think about like conforming to the world... You might be thinking that just means doing all the bad stuff that all those bad sinners do out there. And yeah, sure, that's part of it. That's conforming to the world. But conformity really is any time you choose the status quo over obedience to Christ. That's what conformity is. Any time that you choose the status quo instead of obedience to Jesus. And so that means if you work in a place where everybody's always living in the gray area, and you do it too, because that's what everybody does, that's conformity. If you're in a place where everybody is slandering a certain ethnic group or, or a race, and you just stay quiet, or you join in, that's conformity. If you badmouth your boss, or your family member, or some politician, because, well, that's just normal. That's what, that's what people do around here. Well, that's conformity. And the world's going to love you for it. 
You're going to fit in. You're not going to stick out. And you know what else? In those moments, no one will ever think about Jesus when they think about you. If you are never persecuted, it could be that you're just really lucky. But it might be because you're a coward. And it might be because you're a conformist. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, it is something much more powerful. When Jesus calls us to follow him, it's a call that we would live a life that is constantly reflecting his lordship every moment in the way that we live. It's a call to let Jesus really shine through us. It's a call for us to be like him. And so that means on one hand, we avoid the obnoxious, self-righteous, religious judgmentalism that's going to keep you away from the world completely. But on the other hand, we have to avoid the conformity and, and the cowardice that will hide Jesus from the world while we're in it. So what Jesus, what his life shows us, when you read the Gospels, what you're going to realize from just watching how he lives is that when you live a holy life, when people see the glory of God through you, you will be persecuted, even when you do it exactly right. Because that's what Jesus did, right? Even when you do it exactly right. So how do we respond when we actually are persecuted? That's the, the other thing we need to see in this passage. I want to be clear. The, the message Jesus is preaching to his disciples is not, go out there and get persecuted, guys. I want you to work really hard, do everything you can to try and be persecuted. The persecution is not a goal that he is setting for his people, but instead it is a reality to prepare for. He doesn't, he's not telling you to go and try. He's saying, it's going to happen. If you follow me, it's going to happen. So what do we do when it happens? He says, if, if the world hates you, it's never fun to be hated. Has anybody ever been hated by someone else? It's, it's miserable, right? But it's especially hard to know that the reason why you are hated is because you're following Jesus, because you're being obedient, because you're doing the thing that God has asked you to do. If that ever happens to you, it is extremely disorienting. It, it, it's, it's miserable. Because you, you live in this world where you think, well, if I do good, then good things are going to happen, right? If I do what God says, then he's going to bless me and, and things are going to go well for me. But that's just not how the world works. That is not how a fallen and sinful and broken world actually operates. Sometimes you do exactly the right thing. Instead of taking the easy way out like everyone else, you choose to obey. You do the harder thing. You don't go along with the crowd. You stand on the side of righteousness. But then instead of a blessing, 
instead of a reward, what you get in return is misery. What you get in return is suffering, humiliation, shame. Maybe you get overlooked for a promotion. Maybe if you're a student, it means the cool kids, they don't want to hang out with you. Maybe the people who you really thought you could trust cut off relationship with you, abandon you. Or maybe something much worse than that happened. You know, I can tell you that in in my life, I'm, uh, what, 17 years of full-time ministry or so, and, and I can say that there's been times when following Jesus has been extremely costly. Not just for me, but, but for my, my family, for my children. I was actually talking to another pastor the other day, and he said, I know in my heart that being called into ministry is a blessing. But sometimes it feels like a curse. Can you relate to that at all? That, that calling, being called to follow Jesus, it's a blessing. But sometimes it can feel like a curse. Well, that is the pain of persecution. You think, Lord, I'm doing the right thing. Lord, I'm, I'm following you. Why is this happening to me? So what do we do there? What do we do when we find ourselves in that place where our obedience leads us to pain? Where obedience leads us to heartache. Well, Jesus says it pretty simply. He says, keep in mind that it hated me first. When the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. When you suffer, he tells you to remember that, first of all, their hatred for you is not ultimately about you. It's about what they see in you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he said, rejoice and be glad when it happens. Because it means that the Spirit is actually working in you. And people can tell. It means that your holy life is setting people off because it's testifying to a reality they're trying to avoid. Your life is telling people that there is a God. And your life is reminding people that there is a God who is coming one day to judge. Your holiness is a reminder of their guilt. Your humility is a reminder of their pride. Your submission is a reminder of their rebellion against God. But there's even more. See, when Jesus says, Keep in mind, it hated me first. In that line, he's also reminding his disciples of what's about to happen. He's reminding us today of, of the gospel itself. Because when we remember that Jesus was hated, and we remember that Jesus was killed, we remember that differently from the way we think about Peter. I told you about how he was killed. Or the way we think about the prophets. Or the way we even think about some of the reformers who we celebrate today. Or even some of the martyrs who are, are continuing to be persecuted and killed for their faith in the world today. See, all those people 
suffered like everyone else in the world suffers because we reflect holiness. But Jesus, he was actually holy. Jesus was perfect in every way. Jesus, when he lived his life, he didn't fall to the right or to the left. He was not overbearing, nor was he overconforming. He was perfect. And he was hated. And not just by a few of the really religious people, but eventually Jesus got to the point where he was hated by the whole world. Scriptures say he was despised and rejected. And his moment of greatest obedience, well, it was also his moment of greatest suffering, right? It was his moment of greatest persecution. At the cross, even his closest friends had abandoned him. At the cross, on the cross, Jesus, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, he did that for you. Not as a role model for us to look up to. But he actually literally did that to save you. It was his faithful suffering in that moment that brought about redemption for the world. The world hated him first. But that persecution and that suffering, we know it didn't end in Jesus' death, but it actually brought about resurrection life for the whole world. And so here's the answer of how do we respond to persecution. Well, well, when we experience persecution today, which will always only be just the smallest fraction of what Jesus experienced, even if it leads to our own death, well, first, we remember his suffering. In that moment, we can say, well, if Jesus did this for me, well, then I can do it for others. If my Savior walked this road, well, then I can definitely follow. And I can even follow with joy. But secondly, the gospel teaches us that, that when we remember Jesus was hated first, it's also a reminder that, that our pain is only temporary. The suffering isn't the end of the story. See, even death itself is not the end if you belong to Jesus. The end is a far greater reward than any of us could possibly imagine. It's like John was singing, right? We're, we're almost home. And so I want to say, if, if right now some of you in this room are in that place where you are experiencing suffering, when you're experiencing persecution and hardship because there is some arena where you are unwilling to compromise your faith, unwilling to compromise. You are following the Lord and you're suffering as a result. Well, I want you first to know you have a Savior who's been there. He sees you. And his resurrection <laughs> means that someday He's going to welcome you with open arms. And in that moment, you know, he's going to speak truth to all those lies that you're hearing. In that moment, he's going to stand as a righteous judge. And he's going to condemn the people who are actually guilty. He's going to repay anyone who thinks that they have gotten away with evil. But scripture says to every person who sees their sin. Everyone who trusts him for salvation. Well, to those people, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that you are faithful. And even though we live in this world where uh, the church uh, is often being persecuted, where your people are often suffering, Lord, you haven't left us behind. In fact, you lead the way. And you show us, Lord, that our, our suffering leads to eternal life. God, would you give us the boldness to be the kind of people who are persecuted for our faith? Would you give us the grace to be the kinds of people who are, are loving and kind, not overbearing or angry? But Lord, would you give us the confidence to, to say where we stand, to represent our Savior, and to remind the world of this great truth that you've come to redeem us. We pray in Christ's name.